In this episode of Over the Bonnet, I get to chat with a lady who's taken feng shui to a whole new level. After initially practicing Chinese feng shui, Rosalind Delu has now adopted a new approach to utilize what's available in the local landscape to obtain harmony and balance in the home and in nature. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's over the bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? Rosalind Delu, welcome to Over the Bonnet. Thank you, Mark. Hello, Mark. How are you? I am well. And you have a background in feng shui. So how did you get into it in the first place? Oh, that's a long time ago. That's good to get young again. Um, I encountered feng shui when I was traveling in the train to London. I used to live in Belgium. That's what my accent is from. And I saw a big newspaper uh, with a couple of pages on feng shui. Didn't know what it was. You know, took the two pages, put in my jeans pocket. And uh, when I went back home, I started moving things around my place, the furniture and everything. And I started to have results. So I delved a bit more and started to find books. So I'm talking to you about nearly nearly 25, 30 years ago. Yeah, more. Yeah, about 30 years ago. You noticed changes. You noticed things happen. What sort of things did you notice that was happening? Well, I still recall I was doing Tai Chi and Qigong at the time with a lady who was very intuitive and she could see the auras, okay? And I remember one day after making some changes in my living, in my lounge room, uh, and I went to the Tai Chi a couple of days later, and she said, your aura has changed. You must have changed something in your home. And I said, yes, indeed. I changed the furniture around, and I created, I cut the corners. <laughs> I created the bagua. So it means I created like an octagon. Uh, I know instead of having everything aligned in square, I, I, I moved everything. And it created a total shift in my aura. And that led to her telling me, oh, I can see there is a change in you. Yeah. What sort of change did you notice for you, though? Uh, I felt uh, I could breathe better. I, I was happier. I was just like really excited about learning something new and that I could actually... Uh, instead of, you know, people when they feel down, not that I was feeling down, but when they feel down, they go to a counsellor or they have to talk to someone. And actually what I was doing is focusing on what I wanted to achieve or what I felt I wanted to achieve, you know, because there's a difference. And then achieving it very quickly. So um, one of the major changes for me was to be able to come to Australia. I've always wanted to leave my country of origin since I was about 14, 15 years of age. And here I was at the time, uh, uh, late 20s, and I wanted to, you know, come to Australia. But it was getting a bit more difficult at the time because, you know, you were closing your borders. We had to fill in conditions. So what did I do? I, I, I placed a photo of uh, a map of Australia in my uh, in one of my sectors in the house that symbolizes the travels and helpful people. And, uh, you know, it started accelerating the whole process, which was stuck in the beginning. 
yeah, so that was a big thing for me. So you say you wanted to leave from the age of 14. Why leave your home country? Well, I think I'm a bit of an adventurer. <laughs> I like adventure. And I think from a very young age, I, uh, I had relatives in, in England and initially wanted to, you know, learn English and, and live there. But uh, uh, it was very, very old uh, style and I was not feeling very welcome there. So I let it go when I was about 16, 17. I could feel that, you know, the family didn't really want to have me there. And uh, which is fine, you know. And that led me to say, okay, where do I want to go? So I had two choices. Well, you know, you know, I was uh, narrowing down where do I really want to go? And one place was Quebec. So because I speak French uh, and the other one was Australia. So I went to Quebec and in a tiny bed and breakfast, I met two ladies uh, from Australia. And they said, oh, why are, you, why are you here? And I said, oh, we're looking at migrating. Oh, nine months of winter, are you crazy? Come and see us. They gave us the address. One was from Canberra and the other one, the other one was from Cowra. And here we are. So we came for a visit first, loved it, and said, yeah, we're moving. What did you like about Australia when you first moved here? Oh, man, the blue sky. I know this might be something crazy, <laughs> but uh, in Belgium, there's a lot of uh, grey sky, from what I remember, and that was affecting people's moods. So when I came, it was uh, a blue sky, white clouds, and the space. The space, the, the trees, the landscape, everything was resonating so differently than Belgium. It was... Uh, I think the population density makes a big difference as well. You've got about two, let's say, about two people per square kilometre in Australia. While in Belgium, you've got about 380, so which is, uh, you know, it puts a lot of pressure when you've got uh, a density that's higher, nowhere near, you know, Bangladesh, of course, but uh, <laughs> which is much bigger, but uh, much higher. But, uh, yeah, so the, it was more peaceful for me. The houses were nicer. You know, when something is new and you like the place, everything looks nicer. When you finally came out here, you'd already started to get an interest in feng shui. So did you continue to apply your trade and what you'd learned once you were actually here? Yes. Yeah, so when you arrive in a new country, it takes you about two years to settle. Not only you've got to learn more about the language, but also you need to adapt to all the regulations and uh, you don't know anybody. So when you go to school and you're a kid, you've got some friends, but when you're an adult, apart from the parents that you can see or getting a job, you know, in Belgium, I was writing two, two job uh, application and I was getting the two jobs. Here in, in Australia, I was not a citizen, so it was a bit more difficult to do that and uh, didn't have connections where I lived when, because my migration visa and permanent residency was in ACT. So, you know, there's a lot of government work, which at the time uh, I couldn't apply because I was not a citizen. So I decided to, con you know, to continue that passion of mine um, and to delve into feng shui a bit more and making things happen, not only for me, but for also for other people. And very quickly, 
um, I was invited to the, the first lecture that I gave. And I can tell you at the time, I had that sheet of paper in my hand and I was, you know, looking at people, but also reading it. And I'm thinking, am I going to understand everything they're going to ask me? Am I going to understand all the words? And it went very well, actually. And, and from then on, I never looked back. And I've been doing that now, you know, on a, such a regular basis that I... I I live it. I live it. And it's living your truths that brings your happiness as well. Do enough people do that? Um, there's a lot of, well, for the moment with uh, what's happening around the world, uh, people are very much living in fear, unfortunately. And um, I think uh, feng shui is a tool for people to work on their environment, not only in your garden, but also in your home, which which is either a house or an apartment or a caravan or whatever you can, you know, whatever you've got or wherever you live. And it's to make that place and the garden uh, harmonious so that you can be at peace with everything rather than... The, the most important is not about having, but it's about being. And uh, a lot of the... Sorry to, to bring a little bit of a, a, a tint here about the Chinese feng shui. The Chinese uh, very much look at the money, the money side. And uh, in the early stage, when you had a feng shui master in China, you had a red envelope and you gave them a lot of money so that you could have a lot of luck coming to you. So the luck was bringing luck, health, you know, happiness, etc. While uh, these days we have, you know, a tariff, so you've got a price list, okay, you want a consultation, I'll give you a house, you know, and then we discuss. And more and more you see that people are looking into health and well-being rather than the money side, yeah? So uh, it's really about being and not about having. And uh, once people are going to shift into that consciousness of who do I want to be or who do I want to become, and that's when they start uh, to open that door uh, to their happiness. It's interesting that you talk about the greed aspect of feng shui, Chinese feng shui. Do you think that it is too focused on that and that's all what a lot of people want out of it? Well, I can only talk about the, the, the Chinese people and the Chinese families that I've met and the clients that I had and that was mainly what they were searching. While all the other uh, clients from different culture were looking for well-being. When you're changing someone's house, what are the big things that you actually look for when you're actually trying to change someone's environment? The first thing we do is having a conversation. We sit down and we say, all right, okay, uh, what are your goals in life? What is it that you want to achieve? All right, okay, so I, I leave the decision in their hands and they want to open up. But you know, uh, when I walk into a house, I know exactly with the layout of the house, the plan of the house, the way that people put their furniture or their paintings or their, you know, their photographs or whatever is in which corner is going to reveal everything about their lives to me. So I don't mean to be rude and say, oh, I can see you've got a relationship problem or you've got a problem with your teenage son or something, you know, uh, I'm just going to say, okay, what, what is it that you want? And very often, you know, from the first scan around the place, we go around and we walk through, your home reveals so much about your life that we say, all right, okay, 
it starts changing so you can achieve what you want. What's the biggest no-no that people do when they do set up their house without knowing what they're doing? The question is, do they know about feng shui? Are they interested or not? If they're not interested in feng shui, you're going to have all sorts of things everywhere. Very often people have too much furniture around them. It's too too much of having too many material possessions, and which is costing actually when you're looking at it. You know, if you if you are renting or buying a house which has got two bedrooms, you've got an 80 to 100 square meters versus you know, uh, having a four bedroom, uh, even having two rooms you're never going to use, but having those just in case somebody comes up. You know, you, you just have a look at your budget and what is it that you want? What Do you have this house? Do you live in this house for you? Or do you expect having people? And I recall I moved a bit of time, quite a few times actually in Australia, and you're going to laugh. When I was in the smallest place with the less number of square meters, that's when I had the most visitors. Yeah, it's not because I had spare rooms that I had visitors in. So one house doesn't, you know, maybe it, it doesn't seem to be the logic part. It's how you feel about the place and how people feel in your environment. And that's going to bring them in. When you had that small place, what do you put it down to that you had plenty of visitors? I think my sector six, which is the travels and helpful people and visitors, was quite active. All right, okay. So um, it was the time that I was doing a lot of uh, feng shui conferences, etc. I was living at the time uh, on the Gold Coast, and uh, I had quite a fair amount of followers there. So you know, from year to year, you 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 build up your your clients, you build up interest. Um, I've got. Uh, a couple of blogs on feng shui as well that I was uh, that I created. So, but definitely the conferences. I've organised yearly feng shui conferences in Australia. You talk about your location on the Gold Coast. These days, you're in Canberra. Is your location a factor? I think it is. Yes, the location is definitely a, a factor. Um, I do not say that only from the feng shui point of view, but also from your. Uh, Astro locality. So where you were born, if you go on some sites, you can discover. You know, you put your date of birth, your time of birth, where you were born, etc. And then, whoops, that there is a map coming out of the world where you have all those lines. And uh, uh, definitely, for me, Canberra is a, is a really good spot for some part of my life. And then there is also a really strong career line. Uh, the career is not specifically career, but also life path. So my life path goes across from Darwin, Alice Springs, towards Adelaide. And uh, I must say that I feel very aligned when I'm in the centre of Australia or on that line that crosses Australia. How much travelling do you do? I do a lot of travel. I've got, <laughs> in one of my areas, I've got the map of Australia with all little, you know, stars where I've been. And um, apart from the East Pilbara and Goldfields, I've covered everywhere else in Australia. So I've been to Arnhem Land, I've been to APY Land, which is an Anglo Pitanjara, Yekaranjala Land, so that's northwest of South Australia. I've done, of course, on Elabor, went all the way to Karasa um, in the East Kimberley. Um, 
and all the East Coast as well. So I've traveled a bit, yeah. Not only with work, but also with uh, with interest. So I travel for tourism, but I mainly uh, prefer to go and live in places that you can have a better feel of that place. And definitely the center of Australia, that red earth and those rock formation uh, are definitely something that appeals to me and I can feel drawn to it. So which is your favorite place? You've moved to Australia, which is your favorite place down under? Um, Definitely Canberra. Definitely Canberra. I've traveled a bit around the world and I, uh, since I moved away from my country of origin, wherever I go, I'm asking, could I live there? And yes, I could live, you know, in in several places, but uh, Canberra is my favorite place. You've got everything that you can, that you can imagine. very lovely people, beautiful landscape. You've got, you know, you're two hours away from the snow, you're two hours away from the beach. What else you want? Not too many people. People say, oh, either people like or they don't like Canberra. And we never say, oh, you know, you should love it. Just stay where you are. <laughs> but it's just like, that's a funny, funny way of saying it. Because, yeah, you either love it or you don't. And I love it here, yeah. You say you're still drawn to the Red Centre. What's your attraction there and what sort of uh, experiences have you had in the centre of Australia? Um, uh, In the past decade, a bit more now, 2007 was my first encounter. I sat on the land with um, an art station in Bangor, Queensland, and I started to connect more with, um, with the energies of the land. All right, okay, so I started understanding more about Aboriginal culture and respect and understand that I'm a visitor here. And this is not my country. This is where I am visiting. All right, so I've done a lot of work with uh, people in about 24 Aboriginal remote communities. And uh, definitely I find that Aboriginal people it's like everywhere you've got good ones and bad ones, but I found they're fascinating. They're really, really good. Uh, they're very strong within their culture, within their knowledge, within their law, and uh, their law is the law of nature. You know, just to make it simple. All right, okay. And I think that is part of what I do or how I implement feng shui around me. I live in Australia. I do consultation all over the world, but I consult in Australia with the energies of the land in Australia, not from Europe or from, you know, from China. So when I implement Feng Shui, I bring in those elements, you know, the nature element, the water, the wood, the fire, the earth, the metal and the air. And, and everything that you've got around you will have, will bring harmony into your environment. All right. So we see... Um, that it, uh, there is nothing Chinese in my place. You know, in the beginning, everybody starts feng shui with a Chinese, you know, you're going to buy a three-legged frog that you're going to put near your door, you know, or you're going to buy, you know, a couple of mandarin ducks and you're going to see if it's going to work for your relationship. And of course it's going to work. Why it's going to work? Because the person that you buy it from is saying, yes, it's working. So you believe that. And of course you're creating your, you're manifesting what you want. So that's a reminder. And uh, by using everything that people have around their place and giving 
that object a mission to remind you of your goal of what you want to manifest, it's working. And by not having anything Chinese, you stay with whatever you love or whatever belongs to the country. And as you can see um, behind me, this is a, a beautiful painting. And this is from Australia. When people do get a feng shui consultation from you then, do they expect the Chinese aspect or do they look for it or is it something that they just look to you? Uh, they're definitely not going to choose uh, the Chinese aspect when they contact me because uh, on my website is very clearly uh, saying that, I, um, that I've stepped away from the Chinese aspect. Uh, occasionally, I will uh, suggest a couple of things if people really want to use a Chinese feng shui. But this is not my culture. This is not me. So I cannot give any advice on people's culture when I haven't been brought up in that one. Other aspects, though, of Chinese feng shui that you do appreciate and you do sometimes look at? The Chinese feng shui will give you some clear direction, which are more calculated. And um, if you are living in fear, then you go towards the Chinese feng shui because they're going to calculate with their compass and they're going to give you some really clear instruction. You see the difference? While I do not want people to be in fear and I prefer them to say, okay, what is it that I want? So rather than living in fear, it's living in, in manifesting and creating and dreaming what you want. When I say dream, it's like the dream time, it's the creation time. So it's not, you know, sleeping and thinking, oh, yes, I might do that. No, 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 no. The, the dream time is what is it that you want to create. So I think this is, uh, to my understanding and my experience and, and the feedback from clients, they say I, I much more prefer that rather than going to, you know, live with the fear of, oh, you know, your front door is there and your back door is there and within that year you're going to have a car accident. You know, you don't want to know that. Yeah, so we're going to say, okay, let's do with whatever we've got here. Let's make the best out of what we've got and we're going to make it work. How do you use the elements then to introduce a more natural approach to what you're doing with your consultations? First of all, whatever surrounds you is important. And we, we are part of nature and we are part of the oneness of that universe. We are stardust. And um, so when you start connecting with the elements, you start knowing that there is something that is missing in an area. All right, okay. And so you need to have the harmony of all these things around you to feel at home and to feel comfortable. So uh, you bring in uh, some touches of deco around you. Uh, so you can have a piece of furniture that might be nice. You might have a, uh, a painting or a photograph that you like, and then that's going to bring that harmony. And where they're going to be placed strategically will create something that is to, to replace the Chinese aspect. Is there much colour involved? You can if you want to. Now, I remember uh, years ago, long time ago, 20 years ago, I had some uh, students in uh, interior design that were painting the walls different colors and I said my walls are all white all right and you then add a touch because you bring the light in 
when it's white. If you've got a green wall, you've got a red wall, you know, it's a bit darker. So the light is life. So you bring in, you know, um, with your white walls that you can have, you bring in that light. So that means you're bringing some yang, you bring some activity, something is active there, something is alive. And then you put a photo of something that's going to come out much nicer than if you've got too many colours or too much colour. Well, it sounds like if there's too much clutter, too much colour can also be a bad thing. Oh, yeah, less is better. Absolutely. When you were visiting uh, Central Australia, were you applying your trade out there? What was the reaction if you were? No, I was not uh, applying feng shui there. Um, I wanted to know, uh, I, I applied for work there in remote communities because first of all, you don't go there. You can't go as a tourist, okay? Or wherever I went anyway, you need to have a permit to go. Or... Um, and my interest was coming from feng shui. I wanted to understand the the living condition of Aboriginal people and why they're living 15 years less than we do. All right. So, and I wanted to understand the impact of housing on Aboriginal health, and that's how I started going in there. And then I saw that uh, those people are in very remote places and. Uh, they can only live with whatever is available there. And there is no IKEA there. There's no way that you can have any furniture delivered to your place. So in some places, they were really well furnished. It all depends, as I said, you know, a little bit everywhere. If you're close to a township, so you can have that furniture coming. But if you're far away, you might have a mattress. And unfortunately, this is not only in Australia, this is all over the world, you know. It's not because you do not want to have things, it's because you can't have them or it's to becoming too expensive or because you don't have that sense of belonging. So it doesn't belong to you. Some people need your mattress, they take it away, it doesn't come back. That happens because you share. And, um, and that's where we go back to what I was saying, less is, is better. But of course, when you've got too little and if you have no mattress and you sleep in a place when there's none, you would have really big, health problems. So uh, I've done a lot of, uh, of uh, observation there. I didn't do any consultation because I didn't want to come across like uh, knowing something that might not be appropriate. And I thought, well, I'm just going to see first what is happening and why people have some uh, problem with their kidneys, with dialysis and um, understanding why. And the houses, unfortunately, that are provided in those communities are, first of all, overcrowded. So you've got a three-bedroom, you might have 15 people in one because there is not enough houses. And of course, the when you have 15 people in a three-bedroom home, what do you have? Maybe, you know, beds and mattresses. So um, sometimes there's a lack of uh, space to put a lounge room. How did it affect you seeing that sort of thing? You don't judge when you go there. I'm not there to judge. I'm there to observe and to see why and what is going wrong. If you've got cold tiles on the floor or concrete floor and you put the mattress there because people don't have a bed, um, what is going to suffer? Your kidneys because you're cold. You know, not everywhere is a warm place to be. And in winter, the center of Australia, it's pretty cold as well. So. 
it's part of the problem. What was the biggest thing, though, in your observations that you did notice, though? Was it just that living conditions? At hindsight, it's the lack of awareness of uh, people in Australia to understand that not everybody lives the same way and with the same conditions and don't have the chance that you would have in cities or in regional Australia. So not everybody wants to have a big house. Not everybody wants to have a television. I've been living without a television for 40 years and I'm happy without it. So who am I to say to someone what they need to do? I, we just have to work with whatever they've got. When people are ready, they talk to me and they will approach me to ask whatever they want, especially over there. But you're not there to judge, you're just there to observe and see, okay, what is it that I can bring in? And it's uh, in the case of Aboriginal health, it's not only the food that is uh, stocked in the stores in those remote places, which is really, uh, it starts to change, but it's very um, unhealthy. Right, and um, there is, you know, you've got walls of sugar, you've got walls of tea. So, you know, if you do not give the opportunity to people to taste something else, then they're not going to try it. You see what I mean? And it's the same if they have nothing else than what they've got in their house. How can how can they understand to live differently? They will see what's happening on TV with movies and everything, but it doesn't mean that they would find the necessity to have all that. It's different life. It's different people, you know. Did you find alcoholism a problem there when you were watching what was going on? No, no more than with white Australians. I think per capita, you've got more non-Aboriginal people drinking alcohol in higher quantities than Aboriginal people. With the, uh, the Aboriginal influence on your feng shui, Will you take it another step? Are you looking to further your integration of the Aboriginal mindset in what you're doing with creating harmony? If I've got permission, yes. And definitely when I do uh, go for a consultation, I definitely connect with the land and when the ancestors there. Um, you've got houses that are built on massacre sites. People try to... Forget about that, all right, okay, but you've got entities in some houses and it might be where people have been killed. Um, I've been in, unfortunately, in some massacre sites and, and it's quite, you can feel it, you can feel it. Uh, it's really, un, I'm, I'm, I don't want to scare everybody, but <laughs> you need to understand there's more than the three dimensions that we are perceiving. There's so much more people who passed away or the ancestors of, on country, they're only a breath away, you know? So it's just like when you go in a place, just pay your respect to whoever was there for centuries before we came. You do talk about that acknowledgement of what has gone on before. How important is it for people to integrate that in all of their lives? It's part of respect. Where do you come from? Where are you going? Um, a lot of people go and do their, you know, family ancestry uh, because they want to see where they, you know, what was happening, you know. Um, 
I think it is, uh, it's important to know where you're coming from and where you're heading. And if you do not acknowledge what was in the past, how do you can, how can you go forward? We all have, you know, challenges with parents or grandparents or fights with family members. And you know what? This is part of life. You chose your family between brackets. If that's what you want to believe because you've had lessons to learn. All right. Okay. But you also chose to come. I chose to come here because I had lessons to learn. And trust me, the last 20, nearly 24 years that I've been in Australia has been an amazing journey. And that's what life is all about. It's not repeating the same pattern all the time. It's change. Life is change. I, I love moving things around my place on a regular basis because then you're shifting some energy and you're shifting your mindset. Well, that's what I was going to ask you uh, about moving things around. Is it important to do that? Oh, people do whatever they want, but that's what I would say. Yes, absolutely. Go, try it. Give it a go. Just move something, put it somewhere else and put it with an intention. Yeah. So you need to give that intent into whatever you do. It's going to manifest. COVID now is really ruling a lot of our lives. With what you're doing, how is that affecting what you're seeing with people that you're interacting with? Uh, I'd like to say two things. First of all, I would like to make a, a similarity. I want to bring a similar, similar uh, story. You remember about 200 and something years ago when uh, Captain Cook came, or Lieutenant at the time, came and put the flag and to say, oh, uh, you know, this is ours. Put the fences up. Decided that was your land, that was my land, that was, you know, and decided there was no one here. Well, it's exactly the same what's happening for the moment here with COVID, with coronavirus. You're isolating people. So they were isolating Aboriginal people with fences. They couldn't go and, and hunt anymore in that place. Well, with what's doing for the moment, we, we're not allowed to go out with the isolation or the lockdown. And so people need to start understanding that is what happened 200 and something years ago when the invasion so that's one thing I want to say. On the other side, I would like to also say we have the chance to be at home, to have a look at the place in a different way. And uh, um, during a, a, a Melbourne lockdown last year was a big lockdown and people were very isolated, very stressed, very depressed. It becomes a norm now. Oh, we're in lockdown. Okay, all right. Okay, we do it again. But the first big hit with Melbourne was really shocking some people and um, also people in Europe were finding it really challenging. So I've, um, I've offered some Zoom sessions and uh, it was a, a weekly session that we were talking and we were giving one task to realize inside their home for that week. And they had to do it, you know, within the 24, 48 hours so that the week after when we met again, they could give the reasons. And it was amazing, you know, the smile on people's faces. And a lot of them had said to me, Rosalind, that you kept the same. You kept the same by giving us task and starting to manifest something because we could start understanding that. Now, a lot of those people had lost their jobs and are still, some of them are still without a job. And it gave them that opportunity to be able to do something, going online and being part of a group 
of people they didn't have a clue, didn't know from a bar of soap. But that became a solidarity group. They were talking about things, they were talking between each other, you know, after a few weeks and, and started to talk to uh, on the phone saying, oh, how are you going, you know? And yeah, it was a, a very supportive way to use feng shui during those uh, isolation times. It's something that a lot of people are having to deal with and the stress of that isolation. What's the big thing that someone can do that is having to deal with it to try and ease that stress during isolation? The first thing that comes to my mind is to have something that is growing, like a plant. You plant a little seed and you see it growing so that you see life is coming up. That's one thing is if someone doesn't have access to that, what can they do just in their own particular environment to move change? Is, is it a matter of making, as you say, constant change? It's to realise, uh, first of all, whatever surrounds you, do you need everything? It's really a perfect time to declutter because you're home. Either you work from home or you're not working. So open your cupboards, empty your cupboards and say, all right, okay. You see all your containers, containers, you might have some, you know, tops missing, bottom missing. You just check everything you don't need. And you just live with whatever you've got instead of starting to buy anything. Uh, people are starting to buy online, which is great because we can access all sorts of things from everywhere. And then reviewing their wardrobe as well. Okay, is it time for a change? If you want to spend money and if you can afford it, that's what you would do. Have a look at, okay, what is it that I would like? How, how is it that I would like to look like, you know? And uh, then buying online if you want to. But definitely is to realize that we don't need a lot of things to be happy. You don't need 50 Tupperwares. You don't need 50 containers. You might you might use 10 as a maximum. So, you know, downsize to whatever you really need. And that is part of um, footprint. Yeah, the footprint that we live on this planet, you know. Uh, do we need a small place or do we need a really big place? And what is the impact of living in a big house, only two or, two or three people, rather than living in a smaller house and having your space with less furniture and really with what you need. There's an interesting saying that clothes maketh the man. Does your environment make the person? Yeah, absolutely. In what You're way? You're influenced by, you are influenced with whatever you scan every single day. So you're scanning all the time. So whatever you see is whatever the message comes to your brain subconsciously or Certainly. And so when I see out, I'm looking outside now, we've got a blue sky, there's a lot of wind today. When I can see the movement, those trees are happy to be in the wind. Yes, it's cold because I'm in Canberra in winter, but the sun is shining, you know? So it's just like you see the green. You see, I need to cut my grass, don't have time because it's been raining too often. So it's still okay for the moment. So, But it's just like you feel good with whatever your surroundings are. If there's something that you don't like or you receive the present that you didn't like or you don't like the person, well, you don't have to keep that present or that, that object uh, that that person gave you. And I keep saying to people, you know, the... The full moon is a perfect time to decide what to get rid of so that you have less 
less in your life. So if you've got, I give you an example. I remember one lady once, she was in her 70s and I gave a talk to the University of the Third Age. And I was saying, you know, if you receive a present, you don't like it. Why do you keep it? Why do you keep it? Or you put it somewhere just in case a person comes and sees so that the person sees when, you know, if you kept the present. I said, you know, the person gave it to you. You do whatever you want with that present. You don't have to keep it. And she said, well, I kept a, a, a vase that my ex-mother-in-law, who now passed away 20 years ago, gave me. And she was, you know, really a nasty person. I still have that vase. I said, why do you keep it? Because every time you see it, you remember that person and the negativity that that person brought to you or in your life. So why do you keep it? Sell it, you know, eBay or, you know, there's so many ways now nowadays to get rid of things. So, yeah. Surround yourself with what you love and what is beautiful to you. And I keep saying quality is much better than quantity. You talk about back in the days when Captain Cook came here and Mm. how there was real restrictions put on the Aboriginal people. And now a lot of people are feeling, you say, similar restrictions. Is it the same or is it just that much different? It's your freedom that is restricted. And the freedom to live the way that you are free. You were born free. And so here we are not free anymore. Because you were doing a lot of traveling. Do you feel restricted? That doesn't stop me. <laughs> doesn't stop me. I follow the rules, absolutely. Uh, but uh, it's... Uh, I've, I've done amazing trips during um, the, co- the COVID-19. I was stuck for a few months in Canberra because I couldn't go out or I couldn't find a job because everything was shut down last year. Uh, but um, I've, I've just come back from the East Kimberley where I was working. So there are ways. You know, Australia is such a beautiful country. Why do we need to travel abroad for the moment where we are not allowed to do might as well do the, the, the most of what we've got and discover Australia. We've got amazing places. What area of Australia do you think you've been able to have the most effect if the environment is so impactful of what you do? I don't have to have the most impact on anything. I mean, I'm as I said, I'm a visitor. And uh, the work that I bring is to... Uh, support people or to to bring uh, potential changes in their environment, in their physical environment, or in their education, or in what they want to. And very often, uh, we have a lot of communications going going on and uh, possibilities. And it's really lifting the restrictions, the restricting aspect of having to follow all the paperwork, all the funding bodies, or all the government regulation. And to step away from that and say, okay, how can we make it easier for you to understand? And then how can we flow? And it is exactly the same that what we do in the house. You know, it's about the flow of energy in your home, in your mind, and it's exactly the same with paperwork. How can we make it simple? looks like everything is a bit complicated these days you know whatever you need to do 
And I'll give you an example. I, I, uh, I've been in contact with some communities, non-Aboriginal communities, who had the fires happening, and I volunteered to support some people uh, that are uh, in regional areas. And those people are suffering from PTSD, not from the fires, which were devastating, but from the paperwork that needs to come afterwards. So we don't, we don't talk about, I support them with uh, more about the aspect of how is it that they can connect with the land? And what is it that, you know, you know what, what happened in their life? And, and, uh, and you know, some people lost, uh, you know, horses or cattle or family members or houses or the whole area was gone and they still have nothing for the moment. So long after, a year and a half, year after, nothing is, they are still camping. Is that better for them, though, when you talk about less clutter and less is more? Is it a good thing in a way? I say to people, if you've never been hungry in your life, you can't understand what it is. Okay? And I think it's the same. Uh, people who've never lost everything, it's very hard for them to understand what it means to start from scratch again. When I moved from Europe to Australia, I didn't take much with me. So you start from scratch again. You know, when I go and work in communities in remote places, I go with one luggage and that's it. So you can live out of 20 kilos of suitcase wherever you're going to be. Of course, then you've got a furnished environment uh, with whatever you need to clear and cleanse <laughs> uh, from the past people who were there before. But it's an amazing experience, very humbling experience to be able to do that. One of the big things you like to pack when you are going to some of these places when you don't have a lot to be able to take? Uh, what do I pack? I pack really practical clothes usually. Um, when you go in those remote places, you've got a, a code of clothes that, you know, you can't go with short shorts, for example, but I'm too old for that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you need to pay respect to people and the way you dress is really important, the way you approach people. They're going to definitely look at what, what are you wearing and how do you behave and if you're respecting culture. What's their reaction to you then when, um, when you are coming into these communities and you are observing and you are uh, watching? How are you helping them and what's their reaction to that? It's all the way, the way that you're engaging with people. I'm not observing just like, you know, you just scan something and then you notice because I've done so many houses, visits and, and offices and buildings you see when you enter what is not working. So we talk about a few things and then we start, you know, you know, making the archives or having a look at how we can make the office feels better. Um, you know, it doesn't take long before they get into it and they, they, they're doing it. I've, I've revamped, I remember many years ago, uh, a whole uh, art center in one of those remote communities and sales started to pick up, people started to come, more people started to be aware of, they felt better when they came there. So you don't have to explain anything, you just are there. I never put the two factual words together when I go there, I'm not saying anything about it. This is who I am, and this is my truth. I know it's working, 
And I don't impose on anybody to believe that. The feng shui became really uh, those two words, which means wind and water, became, became very popular with Lillian too, who is a, a very prolific author. She's got about 200 books, I think, but she's from Malaysia, Chinese origin. So thank you to, thank to her, we know about feng shui, but the Chinese way, it doesn't matter. Uh, I've always felt difficult to use those two words because I don't apply it with a with a Chinese feng shui. But people know what I'm talking about when I say feng shui. They say, oh, yeah. So is there an, an Australian feng shui or way of integrating this sort of philosophy? Uh, feng shui existed all over the world with different names. It's what the druids were doing. It was. It's really connecting with nature that is more important than the three-legged frogs that's going to bring you money. What did you do when you started to um, get away from the Chinese feng shui? With obviously, you said you had uh, Chinese artifacts. What did you do with them? Did you give them away? Did you throw them away? Was it important to uh, release them? Yeah, probably discarded them such a long time ago, I can't remember. The only thing that I kept for a long time was the Bagua mirror, which is a protection. Uh, these days I'm using other facts, other uh, objects uh, that I believe would help me for that. So when you talk about um, Australian artifacts, what sort of things should people be looking to utilise if they're trying to improve their living situation? I think the first thing would be to recognise that they are living on Aboriginal land, that this land was never seized, and to have an object that symbolises uh, the local Aboriginal or the Aboriginal where they had contact uh, to be paying that respect to the energy of that Aboriginal um, essence, I would say. So I would, I would recommend rather than having objects from all over the world and, you know, uh, buy a, a piece of art and put it on display, something that you like, that you feel drawn, and uh, it doesn't need to be specifically from your area. There's nothing where you are, but uh, it might uh, be linked with a souvenir. So the, the one that's behind me, um, is a painting uh, called Caterpillar Dreaming, and it's from Maria Curley. She's a, a beautiful artist from Calcidi. Calcidi is fragrant, so which is on APY land, so northwest of South Australia. I had a very good memories of um, very good time there. Uh, I felt very grounded. I loved the place. And uh, yeah, when I saw this painting, I fell in love with it, and I thought so it's better to have one than ten, and so this is how I <laughs> that's how I see it today. Yeah. Are we more embracing the Aboriginal aspect of their culture in White Australia these days? Do you think, or is it has it got to come a long way? I think we are in the next. Uh, it's already started two years ago from an astrological point of view and it's going to come more and more in the next few years that people are going to realize that First Nations are quite powerful and are quite knowledgeable 
into whatever we thought was not important at the time. And uh, connecting with nature, look what's happening for the moment. The imbalances we have in nature is bringing fires, floods. You know, when people were burning, the traditional burning that you can still see if you go to Papua New Guinea or the north side, you can see when you're flying about there. Um, there was nothing in the south side because now they need to ask a permit to some fires in some areas of Australia. So it's again paperwork rather than letting people do whatever they did best and they do best is to look after country, after the land. So uh, you've got a, a, a rise of, of the Aboriginal uh, essence for the moment and we need to embrace that because we've got so much to learn from them. I really like the fact that the New Zealanders sing Maori as well as English in their national anthem. Should there be that sort of integration in Australia with some Aboriginal dialect or dialects in our national song? I don't call them dialects, Mark, they are languages. And in the languages, you might have some dialects. So we still have in Australia uh, a few, a lot of, of Aboriginal languages that are still very actively spoken. Um, most of the people that I worked with, English was their fourth or fifth language. And language, what we need to understand, language is country. The birds that are singing around you, the wind in the trees has a sound that will be different in Canberra than where you are. So you're going to have language is country. And we need to hear that language because it's a sound that you heard when you were in your mum's womb. And we need to have those languages. It is not one size fits all. And I think that each, um, if I call them, each group of, each Aboriginal group would be having their flag. Yeah? Each Aboriginal group has their, they have their songs. They have their stories. They're singing it all the time when they do their ceremony. So they've got their stories. So I don't think that we need um, one language translating the national anthem because each, each group of population already have their stories and their songs. So it's not me to, to discuss this. I think I will leave it up to people and that's giving a lot of polemics, but we need to understand that Language is really important. Here in Canberra, uh, some schools are teaching Ngunnawal, so which is a local language. And where I go in, in other places, in the remote places, definitely people speak their language every day, all the time. When you first came to Australia, did you were you surprised by the interaction or lack thereof between white Australia and Aboriginals that you've seen change over time? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I think there is one thing I remember. I saw uh, Nick Dotson a few years ago and I went to see him and I said, you know, we now have cultural awareness when we go to work and we've got that part of his induction. But again, there is no one size fits all. A young guy that is in Arnhem Land is very different than a cool person, you know. Uh, the language is different, 
the landscape is different, uh, everything is, you know, the shape of the body is different. And it's exactly the same. And people start understanding when I say, okay, you understand Europe? You're not going to ask a Greek person to go and teach people in Denmark. Yeah? You don't have the same color of skin. You don't have the same food. You don't have the same look. You don't have the same color. You don't have the same alphabet. You don't have, and you don't understand the language. So we need to understand all that part. And um, hopefully people are going to you know, become more aware uh, of their local language, let alone to the name of the Aboriginals that were there before. You talk about the yeah. astrological aspect of things changing. What's happening there? So there is with the planets, don't ask me which one, because I've got a, a fantastic friend who's an astrologer, and so I'm listening to what, what she's saying, so it's not for me that it comes. And she said that there is a, a rise of, uh, of all the First Nations for the moment because they have different uh, needs or priorities than the Western world. Because in your website and you send out regular predictions, how do you make those predictions of what you see will happen and what is happening in the world? Uh, these are intuitive predictions. So... I did that for many years, Mark, and I stopped doing that a few years ago because it was a lot of work, first of all, and now I'm a lot on the road and, and, and traveling a lot, so I just stopped that a, a few years ago. Uh, it was very interesting because a lot of people were saying that resonated with them. So I've created 900 designs. Um, each has a number. So like people are playing tarot cards, right? So I can't print 900, so I've got 900 designs, and they look like diaphragms. And so it's just an opening of what is happening in some part of their lives. And people were saying, wow, this is it. And then I was giving some tips to say, all right, okay, it's okay to have that happening in your life, and this is how you can get over it. Or I had some emails or phone calls from people saying, this is really amazing what you've written. Out of the nine things that you're writing, I've got seven that are absolutely me for the moment. Wow, how do you know? And I say, because we all evolved towards the same. You, know, those, you didn't have to read those predictions every month. But those you were going to read, they were resonating with you. And this is how it is to be aligned. So the alignment to the oneness is really important. So we all want, as long as we, and people need to start understanding that no matter what color we are, you know, I can say black or white, but I'll put the blue in as well because, you know, coming from Belgium where the Smurfs started, you know, so we have the blue color there, light blue and dark blue. <laughs> and um, so we are all one and we are all part of such an amazing universe. And uh, once you start delving into the stars and what I would recommend is a, a video uh, called Star Stories of the dreaming uh, by the producer Ellie Gilbert. Uh, you can find that on Vimeo. Then you start to understand the stories that the stars have and you might not understand everything. I had to watch it a few times to start understanding a little bit, but that's the original approach of the stars and the universe and it's just amazing. How do you apply that into your life? Wow, just like my life has changed so many times in so many 
after, you know, every decade. I don't know. I'm not the woman that I was when I was 15, you know. I had a different interest. I was on a motorbike. I was, you know, when I was younger, I was uh, totally a different person. I was logistics director when I was in Europe. Here I've been working with people and uh, for the well-being. So it's very different. And I'm not sure. I, I can dab into a lot of things. I'm early childhood director to a CEO role that I did as well. I mean, I, I can touch a lot of things. And I feel that this is part of keeping me young, keeping me active and my brain active as well. All right, okay. And I would say to people, the time where you were starting your first job when you were 20 and you were retiring at 60, staying 40 years in the same environment, it's totally gone. You know, my family overseas in Europe, they still are living in the same house, doing the same job, doing the same thing, the same furniture. We need change. We need change. We need less to make everything else happen. If you've got everything in the house, you never go out. You need to get out there. You need to go hiking. You need to go rock climbing. You need to do upsailing. You need to be in contact with nature wherever you can. So COVID really has put a dampener for a lot of people then. That's right. That's when you start surrounding yourself with pictures of nature. All right. Okay. So I've got one calendar that was from a few years. I cut the dates and I put that beautiful photo there and I can see it and it makes me alive again. All right. Surround yourself with pictures of nature rather than pictures of people or single people or I don't know, whatever you like, honestly. But uh, you can, if you love cars, have a car that is driving in a beautiful landscape rather than just on the road. So you just encompass the rest and that's how you start feeling better respect seems to be pretty high on your agenda in what you're in your approach to life are more people coming on board with your way of thinking or is it something that you really want to try and get that message across still i think a lot of people start to be more respectful you know um Giving the example, when you, when I remember last year when we went to the shop, we had to be a meter and a half away from people. People were expecting that, yeah, so that, that distance. Now with the vaccination, I think that people think that they are invincible, so they don't respect that anymore. So at some stage, they will become aware that they still need to have some distance if they, you know, because it's not because they don't have the symptoms that they can't transmit it. So I think the respect is is something that people are becoming more aware. So that's not on an Aboriginal point of view, just on a general point of view worldwide. We need to start understanding, are we respected with the decisions that are taken by the government? And I'm not talking about Australia here because I've got friends in, in Europe and in France where it's becoming very dramatic now and they, they are... The, the people are going to be reacting very soon to the, the decision that the President Macron has taken. People need to have a, a vaccine passport to be able to attend some events. They're even talking about not accepting people to go to the shops anymore. You know, it's just like crazy. Whoa, 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 stop it. What is it? You know, where, where are we? Why are we put in the boxes? Why do we need to be controlled that much rather than to be free? And I know, again, the density of population in some countries is really 
really high. So we are more lucky touch wood in Australia and in New Zealand. Uh, but uh, we, we've got to respect everything, not only people, but nature. How can we use nature to fight the COVID syndrome and what it's what effect it's had on our society? Nature is your best medicine for everything. You go out to sport, you go, you go for a walk, you look at the flowers, you breathe in fresh air. Not your television is going to give you that. You might have a good fun movies, but you know you might have one a week. If you're lucky, everything is about violence and killing, and it becomes whatever you watch is whatever you become. Yeah. So go out in nature because you come from there. What do your family think about you with your fairly progressive ideas? They, you say that they are still doing the same thing in the same place. What is your family, how do they take, take you these days? Well, you know, this is who they are and I respect them because that's what they want to do. But they see me going, you know, changing countries, continent, doing different jobs and they're quite amazed on what they haven't done in their life. And I think it's a regret that they have. I don't need people to be all like me. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong. They needed comfort and security while I needed adventure. And we all have, we're all different. And that's what we are making this world population. We're all different. Uh, so not everybody needs to be like me. But sometimes when you are doing your, you know, the same job, the same thing, when something new comes into your life, you're just like, wow, didn't expect that. Yeah. Well, I like that. So I continue to do it. So that's why change to me is really But I'm not saying everybody needs to. But if you want to, if you're not happy where you are at for the moment in life, just change something. Are too many people afraid of change? For the moment, definitely. In this in this current uh, situation, suddenly, yeah, 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 scared. People are scared for the moment. And what could they do to ease that fear? Observe the fear. Where does it come from? Do they want to keep it or they want to let it go? And then it's up to them to decide, not to me. But that's observe. Oh, I'm scared. I'm anxious. I've got the anxiety. Oh, what is it coming from? It might be physical, might be physiological. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But I'm saying, okay, hang on. All of a sudden you wake up with an anxiety, you had a bad dream or you think of something. So do you need to keep that? What is the worst case that if this happening? What's the worst case scenario? Yeah. So, well, you've got plan A, plan B, plan C, and then you have the whole alphabet, if you like. But if you're stuck into wanting, and if, you, if you're stuck into controlling, you, you're very uh, likely to be sad or disappointed. What are you afraid of? Oh, don't know. Don't know yet. I'll tell you when it comes. Don't know. I jumped, I jumped out of a plane. I went into aerobatics with a plane. I did some up sailing. So physically, I don't know. Um, I suppose dementia. So what scares you about dementia then? It's not being able to remember uh, the short-term memory. It's to lose that short-term memory, I think. 
yeah, and not being aware of or doing silly things. I've, 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 uh, I've got, I've got some family members who, you know, have dementia. So I've seen it from a very young age, and I find this is really sad. So, is it a fear? Not sure if it's a fear because I do everything I can to stay healthy. Do you miss any part of um, Belgium? Now I can have chocolates here now, so that's all good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the the food probably at some stage. Yes, the food, and uh, Belgians are very friendly. They they befriend you very quickly. So uh, that is something that was uh, very different for me here in in Australia. You you need to know people for a long time before you get in a real friend or you need to know them since school while over there you meet new people and you know you're part of the team already a lot of people would consider australians are pretty friendly and you found that not to be the case i'm sorry i'm gonna shock some people it's more superficial it's not as deep uh the word friend we've got different words in french we've got comrades you've got mates you've got friends, you've got acquaintances, all right, okay? So a friend to me, when I say friendly, is somebody that when you're in need, you can rely on, that are going to do everything they can for you, all right? And I've seen that it can happen in Australia, absolutely, like everywhere in the world, but in where I come from, you can have a friend after a few visits or after a few weeks or a few days, just say, okay, I'm going to you just rock up and you say, listen, I need a, a bed to sleep. Can I stay? Yeah, no problem. I wouldn't do that here in Australia. What do you put that down to? Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know that Belgians are very friendly. They're very open and they are very welcoming. Um, not sure. How did that affect you when you came here? Did you expect that? Uh, that was something that I struggled in the beginning is the lack of, uh, because you move away from your country. So you don't really look for uh, people from Belgium here. All right. So you, you become, you, you come here for a new life. So you're not going to repeat what you've done before. Um, but that's indeed something that I recall was, the, oh yeah. You know, I give you an example. When you say, how are you going? I'm well, thank you. And then you turn around and you walk away. Well, if you're asking me that in my language, you're going to have my whole story. And that's a big difference. It's the language and the ways things are in the language. How are you going? And I'm going to say, oh, yes, I'm fine. I did this this morning. I ate this last night. You know, you're going to have a full conversation. Well, here's how do you do? And you don't want to know. Just say, hello, how do you do? You repeat the same. What is it like in the Aboriginal culture that you've experienced in that friendliness and interaction between people? You know, I'm not Aboriginal and not, not from Australia. And um, Aboriginal means from the origins. We are all Aboriginals from somewhere. Okay, so I'm not an Aboriginal Australian. I'm just very interested and to learn from them. And once you come across as being quiet and respectful and listening, you need to listen. And if you're not listening, you're not going to be, you know, 
listening to any stories. And it didn't happen overnight, trust me. You know, a few years ago, it was, you know, takes a while. Uh, these days, it may or may not happen easier. It all depends where and with who. But are they a friendly culture, the Aboriginals that you've observed? A lot of them, yes. A lot of them. As long as you are listening and respecting, you will be, you know, taken to, you know, to, uh, they're going to tell you a story or it all depends on what you are after. I don't know. I just, like I'm explaining to you, I can feel in my heart, my heart is opening. I can feel that. I don't know when you talk, I might be very naive. I don't know. I might be very, my ways of seeing things, but I've seen some amazing people. I've met some really strong law people there too, you know, traditional law. And uh, we've got so much to learn. We're just not even at kindergarten. They know so much more than we do in that world. We are in the physical, material world. Only the other spiritual world, they know so much more. What are some of the things that have struck you that you've really uh, gone, wow, that's pretty amazing that you've learnt in your observations? Well, I, I had quite a few amazing experiences that are a bit too private to share that with you here. Uh, but man, this has changed my life. It has changed my life. I have seen things, I have felt things that were so strong and I was just like, wow, it blows you away. I can't give you more details, I'm sorry. <laughs> so what's the biggest thing, though, for you still to conquer and still learn and achieve in your life? I don't have long-term goals anymore. I think I, I live the moment as much as I can. Um, I think that's the best way to be in the current COVID circumstances as well, is to take every step as we go. Once it's going to be gone, because it's going to go, all right, okay. Um, in a year and a half, it should be much, much better. I know it's still a long way away, but um, probably after first term in 2023, let's hope it's going to disappear. And then life will be, is it going to go back to what it was? I'm not sure. But you've got to make the best moment of every moment you've got in your life. Love your family, love your friends, love your, your surroundings. And that's how you reach happiness. And I think it's more and more living in the moment and being part of the oneness that is more important to me today. So is that the thing that we can get a positive out of the COVID situation, that we can rediscover a whole bunch of things like family? Yeah, stay away from the news and stay away from the television. Just go on when you really need to. Um, watch some funny videos, go on YouTube. You've got some amazing talks like those at Uduma uh, as well. And TED Talks and, and learn, learn because it's, there's never, there's never enough of learning. Education is, is key. And you've got some podcasts on, on, on all sorts of levels. You know, I, I was listening the other day to the story of uh, Leopold II, uh, you know, who invaded, or, yeah, who invaded Congo and the atrocities that were there. So it's not always positive what I'm listening to, but this is also what is happening around the world or happened around the world and what, you know, 
see the difference. I keep saying to people, from generation to generation, we are a filter. Yeah? I, uh, my parents had another filter above them, from their parents, and as it goes. So you don't want to repeat the same pattern that what you had suffered or maybe enjoyed, <laughs> you know, keep the enjoying part with your parents, but you don't want to have the suffering, yeah? So you need to filter that so you don't give that to your kids. And it's exactly the same that needs to happen in the, in the education system, is that we can't keep doing what we did before. We need to have, you know, some more fun, some more respect, and some interesting topics, rather than coming up with some really harsh, uh, I'm talking about primary school here, you know, up to whatever you want, but it's, uh, it's really, you need to learn how to enjoy life as well. And what is it that is important for those kids? What is important? Is it being on your phone? Is it being on your tablet? Or is it to kick a ball outside in the, in the backyard? Or is it to play board game? I play board game on a regular basis. I love it. And I think the board games is making, you know, the connections with people that are different from the virtual reality. If someone wants to find out about what you're doing and follow your adventures, how do they keep in touch or get in touch with you? I've got a website which is called fengshuisteps.com.au. Um, I've got a blog which is fengshuisteps.wordpress.com. And um, you can always email me at fengshuisteps at hotmail.com. So tell me what you want, tell me where you struggle, and I'm quite happy to send you a, a little email or we can go on zoom and have a conversation if you want to have a consultation i do that all over the world so you ask me for a quote i give you you know it takes hours to do a consultation you don't do that in an hour or two it takes a long time um and you know mark it's quite amazing because a lot of my clients that i've had for the last 25 years in australia i'm still in touch with them I'm still in touch, or they are still in touch with me. <laughs> it's more that way. You might not hear from someone for three or four years, and then all of a sudden it goes, oh, Rosen, I've got a question. Da, 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 da. And then I answer, I said, oh, yeah, it's good. Cool. And then they keep in touch the way they want to. There's no obligation. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really the way that people want it to be for them. What's the biggest change people can make to improve what's going on right now? Everybody's got different priorities, Mark. So you really need to feel it in your heart. You need to believe in yourself. You need to believe it's going to happen. So you've got to remove all those barriers that you've got, all those restrictions that you've got in your head to say, yes, I, I can do this. You know, that's what I say to people. Yes, everybody is restricted, but, you know, for the moment I'm here, I'm waiting that the borders open or I just need to go and, and see if I can isolate for a couple of weeks somewhere, which is not my best favorite thing to do, but if it has to be, I will do it. And it's because deep inside me that where I'm gonna go and what I'm gonna do, I'm excited about it. And if you're not excited about something, then you're just, you know? But if you're excited about it, your aura, you vibrating totally differently than if you just have to do something, yeah? And that's what I like everybody to understand, and the education system as well, is 
motivate people with whatever they like and then you add the things they might not like as well but just give them that option give them that that excitement about something well your excitement is infectious and rosalind delu thanks for joining us over the bonnet thank you very much mark keep the good work thank you